Purple, get ready to roll in D. This is College and Kimball back in your feed after a much-needed Thanksgiving break. Unfortunately, we're here to talk about a second consecutive Kansas State loss. The Wildcats, of course, falling to the Texas Longhorns the Friday following Thanksgiving, 22-17, to the final from the 40 Acres in Austin. We'll dive into that here momentarily before we jump into that i will ask our loyal listeners to do what we uh, have always requested that you do if you haven't had a chance to already subscribe to us on whatever your preferred app is follow us on twitter at college underscore kimball and if you can give us a review on itunes we would certainly appreciate it any and all feedback that we can get on the show is greatly appreciated so that being said let's go ahead and jump into it boys i'm jeff burkhart Got the full cast of characters here, Justin Netter, Clint Wilson, and Alex Speth. This one was tough to stomach on a number of different fronts. Uh, It didn't come away feeling all that encouraged what I saw, certainly offensively, but defensively. I know on a per-play basis it wasn't bad, but I I felt like Texas was able to do enough things to keep K-State off balance and still control the line of scrimmage on that front. Uh, just uh, really a frustrating game on a number of different levels this past Saturday or Friday. Yeah, you know, the the first half was competitive and somewhat fun. Uh, K-State defense started out. They couldn't really stop the run, especially out of the Wildcats. Uh, the K-State offense was at least moving the ball. Uh, then the second half came and the wheels completely fell off for the for the offense. Defense did very well, I thought, in the second half, but it wasn't enough when the offense wasn't moving whatsoever. And especially when it came down to those fourth downs and, you know, just completely went to shit. You know, I think we've managed all season to avoid the absolute loss we, you know, in a game we had no business losing and we, we dodged it till the Till the regular season finale, this is a Texas team that hadn't won a game in damn near two months. I think we all knew that they were, you know, probably one bad play away from mailing it in, and we could just never make that bad play happen for them. You know, we gave them life. You know, that the, the cheap field goal they got right before half to keep it at a one-point game, it kind of felt like that might come back to bite us in the ass. And then, like Clint said, defense – played a more than respectable second half, but two field goals was just too much to uh, overcome, unfortunately. Just this one was bad. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Yeah, I'll say starting the second half, the third quarter offensive struggles continued, which lasted the rest of the second half. Uh, But two drives to start the second half with really good field position, uh, can't do anything with it. And that kind of just, it just felt like we were, you know, the offense was just in quicksand the whole second half. Uh, the defense played one of those games where they felt like they were dominating. They had, like, double-digit tackles for loss, I think, in the game. Uh, but at the same time, kind of the same story against Baylor. Like, for every good or good play here or there, they, we, we weren't really getting off the field as much as we needed to on, on third and fourth downs. Um, so that's something, you know, you can't really blame the defense for this loss at all, but um, they're on the field a lot because our offense couldn't stay out there in the second half. But, 
you know, third down defense has still been kind of a weakness for this team. And yeah, just offense having zero confidence, you know, in who's playing quarterback and uh, zero, you know, Texas just looked like they knew we were going to run the ball the whole second half and they weren't going to let it happen. And, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to, to move the ball when the defense only has to play one aspect of, of, of an offensive game plan. And I think that's a good jumping off point here for us to talk about this offense. Uh, Will Howard start, got the start at quarterback uh, goes nine of 13 passing 65 yards, only had a long of 14. So, you know, quick math in the head here, he's still averaging a, a around five yards an attempt. So not really pushing the ball downfield at all. Uh, and then he did have a, a, obviously the big home run uh, read option where he made the correct read, took it around uh, the far sideline for a 71 yard touchdown. Uh, we talked about it before we uh, started recording here. Uh, once he gets going uh, and, and has, and doesn't really have to think much, he can run and he looks pretty fast in the open field. But if there's any kind of, hesitation there he just like he just goes to it's, it's like he's walking to molasses like he just cannot move he's not fleet of foot at all I I guess my my question here to you guys becomes what do you feel like the offense can realistically achieve with him under center moving forward because I feel like what we've seen in, in the few games that he started this season and also going back to last season I feel like Messingham is trying to scheme around him not truly playing the position the way that we need a quarterback to play. I feel like we're really trying to handicap him in terms of how many passes he throws. I just don't feel like the full book is open to you. Uh, What are your guys' thoughts on that? I wouldn't say that I have zero faith in him going forward, but it's close to zero at this point. Um, I blame the offensive staff more than I blame him for this uh, game against Texas on uh, all the faults on offense. I don't think he was given much of a chance, but I mean, there's a reason for that. He hasn't looked good throughout the season. He must not be looking very good in practice. You know, it's kind of laughable that at some point in the season, they called him the best backup quarterback in all of uh, NCAA football. And yet they don't trust him to really run the offense. Um, so he, I, I wouldn't say there's zero chance of him improving going forward, but I'm hoping they bring in some uh, transfer or junior college guy to uh, be competition there for quarterback for next year. Yeah, I think Clint kind of hit the nail on the head that, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I've never been Will Howard's biggest fan. I'll fully admit that, but I don't think what happened Friday is really on him at all. You're not going to win a big 12 game, only throwing the ball 13 times very often. It's just not going to happen. I don't know if they're just too afraid of those, you know, catastrophic mistakes he kind of became synonymous with last year and then the early part of this year. You know, you think about the pick six he threw against SIU. You think about the terrible fumble he couldn't manage to fall on in the end zone in Stillwater. You know, I don't know if if they're just worried about those kind of mistakes continuing to be the norm for him. So they're kind of taking the ball out of his hands. But if that's all the if that's all the leeway they're willing to give him, then he's clearly not the answer, and they're going to have to figure something else out. And I don't know that that's necessarily on Will so much as on a coaching staff that just doesn't trust their guy. Yeah, it's hard to say like 
like Clint said, I don't necessarily blame Will Howard for the Texas game because it just felt like the the coaches were not willing to, you know, let him go out there and just be the quarterback. And but there's probably a reason for that as well. You know, like what's 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 happening first? Like they don't trust him because of how he's playing in practice or whatever, or they just are getting ahead of it thinking you know, oh, let's just, you know, keep it simple or whatever. But, at, you know, you got to you gotta let a guy know that you're confident in him to go out there and run the offense, you know, whatever play they want to run, to be confident that he can go out there and make plays. And when you're not doing that, you know, things usually don't go so well on that side of the ball. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I would probably say the outlook on the offense with – any current quarterbacks on the roster isn't looking so dynamic or exciting uh, for next year, at least. That's going to be one of the biggest storylines to watch for this team, not even in the offseason. I think just with the nature of the transfer portal and what this has done holistically to college football, like I think you'll see names go in there pretty quick. And I would imagine that K-State at least I would suspect they would be in the market for that. I think that raises a much larger question, though, as we talk about the future of offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham. Uh, I, I'll I'll pose the question here. I guess let's just start off very uh, straightforward. Do any of you expect him to be back for a fourth season as OC? No, I don't think he'll be back. Uh, there's a lot of rumors out there about possible replacements already. Um, but at the same time, you know, things happen. I wouldn't be surprised if he still somehow finds a way to come back. Uh, all year long, I've I've been uh, a somewhat quiet defender of his. Uh, you know, I haven't been too upset with him throughout this year. It's been a fairly efficient offense, even though it's not a very exciting offense. But after this Texas game, and the, in particular the fourth, third, fourth down calls that he had, I am ready for him to get out of Manhattan real quick. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess expecting him back and wanting him back are two very different things. You know, it wouldn't be the first time that I think there was a pretty obvious squeaky wheel on the staff that wasn't necessarily addressed. Um, I, but I do tend to think that no, he's probably not coming back. Um, I, you know, he obviously he was met with a lot of resistance when he got to Manhattan anyway. You know, he was on the offensive staff in Iowa State when Paul Rhodes was there, and that was not exactly a team known for prolific offenses in the in the Paul Rhodes era. Um, I think people were hoping, you know, he might have been able to put that behind him. But I think you could definitely say he's regressed in his time in Manhattan with this Texas game kind of. It all kind of came to a head, right? There were some terrible play calls and some pretty obvious there were some decisions that made absolutely no sense given the literal down and distance. And it just kind of a culmination of a lot of like a lot of people's frustrations were really on display. You know, I think there's been a lot of defending him and I've been a, a, a lot of people calling for his head since he got here. Basically. Um, I've kind of been willing to let it ride more often than not, but the way things have wrapped up this season, I think it's, it's definitely time for him to go. Whether or not it actually happens, I guess, remains to be seen. But, yes, I, I would hope that we are starting next season with a new OC. So my opinion is I don't think he's going to be back, and I don't really want him back either. I've been kind of 
a critic of his since he took over. Um, he's kind of an interesting, you know, uh, test case with a coach because statistically his offenses look fairly efficient. His, you know, his uh, points per drives are usually, you know, decent or slightly above average. But to me, it's just the play calling. I, you know, yeah, some of the plays we run, you'll we'll run it and be like, wow, that's a really well-designed play. But it's, you know, it's the plays that you're just like, why did we run that here? Why are we running this now? Or, you know, the fact that our offense is always terrible in the third quarter. I think there's severe lack of adjustment or maybe overthinking things coming out into the second half. Um, And just, yeah, I just, I don't think his play calling ability has been great. I think there's a lot of questionable play calls in certain scenarios late in games that I've never been a fan of. Um, So, yeah, I'm sure, you know, his offense can be well designed, but it's you got to run the the right plays at the right time. And I think that's been one of the main issues with him. Um, And then one other thing I was going to say, but I can't remember, so. If it comes back to you, we're obviously here. Um, yeah, having looked at the efficiency numbers now, again, this is K-State coming from a place in the final year in Bill Snyder when they were in the the mid-90s throughout most of the season in the S&P Plus uh, metrics that measure, again, efficiency on a per-play basis, success rate. We're talking about a number of different factors here. So you you go from that and then Messingham's first year, you kind of get that artificial bump, just new system, new life, different coaching philosophies. And K-State bumps up to 66th in 2019. They dip uh, in 2020 down to 71st, and then they finish the regular season this year, 46th uh, overall in the S&P offensive metrics. So to me, that that's I don't want to classify that as a like an abject failure, but th- this all occurred with one of the better passers in school history in Skylar Thompson. You obviously had you had a total a full season with him in 2019. You had him for a handful of games in 20, and then you had him for a majority of the year this season. And we still weren't able to really eclipse and, and any and get into any like rarefied air as far as offensive efficiency goes. So I, I think at this point, the only thing that you can really sell K-State fans on in terms of retaining him is just continuity. And, and frankly, I don't think that's really going to be a sticking point with a lot of fans at this point. I think everybody's kind of knows uh, it, it's very much the same predicament that we we feel like we're in with Will Howard. We kind of know what he is. We know his limitations. And I think with this offense, we we kind of know what Messingham is. You know, there will be there will be days, there will be sequences where things are really clicking. And when you know we're we've got teams off balance with that little jet sweep motion that we're throwing in there. If we're running duo, whatever it is that we're we're doing, we've got teams stressed and and, and yeah, it looks great. And then you just have totally befuddling moments like we did against Texas uh, and obviously the third the first third and one and fourth and one sequence in which K-State failed to convert uh, deep in its own territory on the 30 uh, late in the or midway through the fourth quarter in which we had a couple of baffling calls there by Messingham and then we see 
later on in the fourth quarter when K-State's gotten it into the Texas red zone and looking like it's going to put what should be kind of a, a nail in the coffin drive, take the lead and get out of Austin with a, a less than impressive victory, but a victory nonetheless. And unfortunately, we have a, a very bizarre speed option call, which I guess I'll put that to you guys. What did you think about that? Because in the moment, my initial reaction was, what in the name of God are we doing? We, we talked about how Will Howard, when you have to give him any kind of decision to make, he's not one, he's just not decisive and he doesn't seem all that confident regardless of which way he goes with his read. But I, in, in watching that, I also have to give Messingham a little bit of credit and the, the right side of the line had pretty well blocked it. And if Will Howard makes that pitch to Deuce Vaughn, it's very clearly a first down, if not a touchdown. How'd you guys feel about the fourth, that fine, what ultimately being ended up being the final fourth and one call for that K-State offense. On important plays like that, I always just want us to play to our strengths. And, you know, playing, trying to get too cute has been kind of uh, our downfall, especially in this Texas game. And just doing something that you don't do very often is, I mean, why, why are you doing that? Why aren't you just running it a way that has been working all game long? That's That was my thought on it. Yeah, I... Uh... You know, whether or not he made the pitch, that play never should have been called. I will take it to my grave. The man is 6'4", and you need a foot. Get up under the center and just shove that ball forward and get the one foot you need to keep the drive alive. That's one of the more frustrating play-calling decisions in recent memory. So my problem, not necessarily that fourth down. It's the previous fourth down with trying to run Deuce out of the Wildcat on a fourth and you know, two foot or whatever. And then they tried that again on third down on this drive and it didn't work. And then came the option, which like you said, the option was, you know, blocked well enough that if you pitched it, it was going to be a first down. However, part of the whole option is being able to read that pitch guy and pitching the ball. And that pitch guy is intentionally unblocked and he gets into, you know, fluster Will Howard so you got to know your personnel. Like, is that a play that Will's going to make that split decision choice to pitch the ball or keep it when he should have pitched it? So, you know, the play call itself, I didn't have a problem with. It's just more this, you know, this isn't the type of play that you want to really bank on in that situation. Uh, there's just a lot of room for error there. Um, he pitches it a little too late. That guy might just bat it down or whatever. You know, that guy came in and blew up the play plenty, um, which in my mind, the, the play was so well blocked, they could have just blocked the pit, the, uh, the pitch or the, the key guy on the pitch too. You know, I think Sammy Wheeler ran right by him cause he was supposed to let him through, but sometimes just block that guy. I mean, you're blocking everybody else over there. You just need a yard block the guy that's going to be closest to the ball and then get, get your yard. So I don't know. I don't think it was a right call with the personnel we had and in the situation, but I should have gotten a yard though. Agreed. Yeah. I, I put, I put that screen cap out on Twitter uh, earlier this week and got some very colorful feedback from a lot of frustrated fans and, and justifiably so. And I think again, that, that gets down to Messingham getting too cute as you talked about Clint and also Alex, to your point, not really having a, a great 
grasp, I, I guess, of the personnel and, and what they feel comfortable doing. And to me, if you call that play, that's almost one of those where I say, kick it to just pitch it to deuce. If, if they, if they have a safety flying downhill and he cracks him for a five yard loss, fans are going to be far more content to, to see that happen than they would be to see you try and make some split second decision to cut it up and hopefully get the, the necessary, you know, half yard or whatever it is that they, that we needed to, to keep the drive moving. But it, it, it all in all offensively, again, it ends up just being a very frustrating day for, for Kansas state. Uh, I will, I, I would be remiss though, if I didn't highlight the fact that Deuce Vaughn went over a hundred again for the uh, fifth straight game. Uh, it, again, is still in some very rarefied air just nationally this season. He's the only player with over a thousand yards rushing and over four or over a thousand rushing and over 400 yards receiving. Uh, and he was really K-State's only, only viable option in this game for, for anything, <laughs> uh, to, to stress the Texas defense, uh, 24 carries for him for a buck 43 and a touchdown only had a long of 20 though, but still, Averaging six yards a play, it was a it was a fine day for Deuce Vaughn. Um, receivers didn't really have an opportunity, as we stated a little bit earlier, to to really get involved and truly make an impact in this game. And again, this also kind of circles back to another point that we talked about, like you know, trying to get things in in the passing game for Howard. You know, where where why are we not utilizing tight ends more? Daniel Amato Bebe didn't see the field much in this contest, but again, you feel like you need to try and get him or Lynn and or Nick Linners involved again, just really easy reads. Those are going to be just right in the field of vision for Will Howard and easy throws and completions ideally for him to make, but K-State just really did not make any sort of concerted effort to, to get the tight ends involved in the, in this contest. Uh, and, and again, wide receivers really didn't make any sort of significant impact either on that front. So uh, again, it just ends up being a very frustrating day for this K-State offense. It's held under 300 yards for a second consecutive game. They rack up only 293 on just 48 offensive plays. They average better than six yards per play. Uh, But again, Texas uh, with the ball for quite a bit longer in this game, they ran 20 more offensive plays and K-State was just, it was very much feast or famine. This was what we saw with Will Howard last year. You know, if he ripped off a big run and K-State managed to put points on the board, that was awesome. But in between those those explosive plays, there were a whole lot of three and outs. And unfortunately, we saw a whole lot of punting from this K-State offense in this contest. So, again, a frustrating day and a day also in which the K-State offense only goes one for nine on third down. We talked about that being pretty uh, pivotal in this contest and going over two, obviously, on fourth down. Uh, it, it was just not K-State's day and, and, and augmenting it even more. The fact this Texas defense, quite frankly, did not really, they were not particularly good in defending the run. They were giving up just a shade under 200 yards on the ground per contest. Uh, they had been ripped up in recent weeks by, by Iowa State, and Kansas, and everybody in between having lost six games. And it was frustrating to see K-State really not, able to exploit that more in this contest and again i think a lot of that just gets back to the play calling and that's why you see this offense only generate 13 first downs but um i I don't want to harp too much more on the offensive effort i do want to switch gears and move over to the defensive side um 
I, I guess this is one area where I, I came away feeling a little bit more upset than most with, with the effort I saw here. And this is one area where I thought Sark really kind of outclassed Kleiman because they, they knew they had Casey Thompson who was going to be able to go. He was pretty limited in what he could do, but they were able to keep K-State off balance defensively uh, with Roshan Johnson running out of the Wildcat, Casey Thompson just nickel and diming to death. Uh, I'll, I'll just start off high level. What, what did you guys, how did you guys come away feeling about the effort we got from Klanderman's group last Saturday or Friday? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely had some rough moments. Uh, two out of the first three drives, it seems like they could just run all over us. Uh, got that interception on the second drive. I think it was the first play of the drive. Um, but I think they really started to settle down after that. Um, they they really did tear us up with that Wildcat. I can't remember that running back's name. Uh, but he, he was really good. I thought he, he really moved the pile a lot of the times. Honestly, that was the thing I was upset with the most. We had him wrapped up three or four K-State defenders, and then they would push it for another four or five yards sometimes. Um, other than that, I thought the, the team played pretty well. Um, got a lot of tackles in the backfield. Um, I'm still so impressed with Daniel Green, the way that guy flies around and gets into the backfield. Um, you know, as good as Felix has been this year, Daniel Green might be my defensive MVP. That might be a hot take. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, Looked up the box score, and at least ESPN only had Green with one and a half tackles for loss, which is funny because I felt like he had about six on Friday. Um, he definitely lived in the backfield for sure. Um, one kind of unsung moment that'll get lost in the shuffle because we didn't end up pulling out the win was when we got stuffed on the first fourth down attempt, clear back at our own 30, the defense only holding them to a field goal there to give us a shot to, you know, go down and win the game. That, I mean pretty huge given the circumstances. So, I mean, yeah, uh, pretty similar to the Baylor game. I think they did more than enough to win and the offense just couldn't quite get it done. But yeah, I, uh, I think Klanderman honestly deserves quite a bit of credit for turning things around this year. Yeah. Two weeks in a row, we're kind of forced to nitpick the defense just because we lost the game. And, you know, both times the defense played, you know, well enough to win. And I think, you know, this kind of gets me thinking about just the Big 12 in general. You know, this type of defensive performance over the last eight or nine years in the Big 12 would be, you know, would be phenomenal. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but the Big 12 is almost shifting into more of a ball control defensive league the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I think defense is definitely being played as more of a premium in the league the last couple of years with all the good running backs and, you know, teams aren't scoring 50 points a game as much as they used to be. But uh, like I said, you know, we're, we're kind of forced to nitpick on the defense just because we lost the game. Um, you could look at how many plays we allowed, but you know, when your offense isn't staying on the field, that's just, you know, more opportunity for the other team to go out there. And, you know, if the offense is holding the ball more, running some clock you know texas might the, the the play gap is is definitely different there uh the one thing i will say like i mentioned earlier though is uh both the baylor and the texas games you know we have a lot of negative havoc plays which are really good to have but at the same time you know some of our past defense could be better and our third down defense could definitely be better 
uh, to get off the field. But like I said, great defensive performance. Uh, just sucks that, you know, they couldn't be absolutely perfect to pitch a shutout and get a win or something. So. Yeah. And, and I guess I should, should clarify my frustration was, was not so much with the effort collectively. Well, again, when you allow 22 points in a big 12 game, especially on the road, you should feel you should have a puncher's chance. And, and to that point, I guess K-State really, they were theoretically and mathematically not out of this game. But my, my only source of frustration was just what we, what we all knew going in this Texas team was not even on life support. Um, they, they, they were so disinterested. And the one thing you could just ill afford to do was to give them any sort of life. And Alex, I went back, I listened to the episode last week, and that was the biggest point that you harped on <laughs> was don't give them a reason to be hopeful and optimistic. And unfortunately, K-State right out of the gate gives up the 10-play 75-yard touchdown drive. And then Texas, yes, they throw the pick on the next possession to TJ Smith on a very, and I think that was when Sark really realized that Casey Thompson was going to be very limited in, in how he could push the ball down the field with that injury. So that yes, K-State gets the pick on the next drive, but then K, uh, then Texas comes right back with a 13 play 73 yard touchdown drive. So two out of the first three possessions result in scores. That's just, that was the one thing K-State could just not afford to have happen was Texas feel any sort of positivity about itself and give them any sort of reason to hope and believe that they could win this game. And in case state's defense did respond with a couple of back-to-back three and outs there, but there were, we talked about the offense being frustrated. There were some wasted opportunities here. K-State got a couple of short fields uh, in, in this contest got set up on its own, uh, on its own 42 in the second, uh, uh, a drive late in the second quarter, 46, 42, and then on the 40 later on in the fourth quarter and came away with no points on any of those drives. So again, it, it comes down to a game of, of being missed opportunities, not really being able to capitalize off of the good field position there. Um, like I said, I, I, I was just frustrated. It took the group a little bit too long to, to account for the Roshan Johnson wildcat plays that, I feel like should have been something after that first possession that you really get dialed into and, and locked in on. And it, it, it seemed like it took K-State a little bit longer to adjust on that. They did a reasonably good job in clamping down one of the better receivers in the league. Your worthy didn't really get loose. Uh, yeah. The six catches for 65 yards is it's a pretty good and impressive stat line uh, from the K-State perspective. If you ask me, uh, you limit Casey Thompson uh, to, Getting quick math in my head here, about seven yards per attempt in this contest. So some positives on the defensive side and some things that they can build off of going into the postseason uh, here, but still a a game where K-State needed, sadly, perfection just based off of the effort that we got out of the offensive side and and the defense was not able to deliver. Again, kudos to Klanderman's group as a whole, what they did. Uh, I know we talked about it last episode too against Baylor. What they did against uh, the the latter half, the second half of this uh, schedule was very impressive. And we'll do a, a kind of a season recap here, and we'll talk about all the metrics and where K State ended up. But it was again a very remarkable heel turn for this group compared to where they were in 2020. Yeah, I did. Uh, 
I did want to single out a couple of uh, individual efforts on the defensive side. I thought TJ Smith, again, played a, a, aside from the interception, was, again, pretty solid and, and, and backup having come in for Jerron McPherson. Um, it was unfortunate Jerron, both Jerron and Skyler, could not go in this game, but I thought TJ filled in admirably. Uh, Jalen Pickle had himself a nice game, had four tackles and one tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Um, King Felix has been pretty quiet here, really since the game in which TCU just decided not to block him. He's He's been held pretty well in check. Uh, again, most offensive lines and offensive line coaches on the opposing side taking note of him. Um, but Daniel Green, Clint, you talked about it. He had another monster game, and I think that that's uh, that's probably about as good as opportunity as any to, to dive into our awards for the week. Um, so we'll start off with the the Michael Bishop Award going to our team MVP. And guys, I think it really comes down to one of two guys here. It's either Daniel Green on the defensive side or it's Deuce Vaughn. So uh, I think we can go ahead and hash this out here. Where, what side are you guys leaning? Well, I argued for Daniel Green last week just because there wasn't a good option for a second player for offense be a little cheap if we uh you know did that to deuce two weeks in a row so i'd say deuce for this one this week that's fair yep agreed all right so deuce vaughn is our michael bishop award winner for the week again his line 24 totes for 143 yards one touchdown uh, pretty quiet day for him, though, in the passing game. Only two receptions for seven yards. But nonetheless, Deuce Vaughn is your Michael Bishop Award winner for the week. Uh, that makes things an awful lot easier, though, as far as the Mark Seminole Award winner for our defensive MVP. That's going to go to the aforementioned Daniel Green. 11 total stops, 10 solo tackles in this game, one and a half tackles behind the line of scrimmage and one quarterback hurry again daniel green really since really since that second targeting call he's just been playing possessed um and, and I, I could not be happier to hear the news that broke uh, shortly after the game this past friday um that daniel green does intend on coming back for another year uh at kansas state so that's a huge get for this squad that's going to be awfully thin at linebacker uh, to have him coming back for 2022. So hopefully big things in store for him uh, looking ahead to his senior season here in Manhattan. Now let's go next to the, uh, the Darren Sproles award for the game's offensive MVP. And again, our little stipulation again, if you are the team MVP, you cannot get your respective positions award um, for the offensive or defensive MVP. So, that being said, guys, Pickens are pretty slim uh, on this front, but I know we bagged on him quite a bit. You you could make an argument for Will Howard, and uh, and I'll, I'll say it, I'll frame it this way: the big bugaboo was always the catastrophic turnover. He did not have that in this game. Um, no interceptions in this contest. Had the big seventy-one yard rushing touchdown spread the ball around on his nine completions and went to seven different receivers. Um, I candidly, I, I don't know who else you go to. Um, Clint, I know, unless you have a case for our boy, Eric Hommel, who made his first catch of the season. <laughs> um, 
Uh, no, not Eric Hommel, but I would give a vote for Cooper Beebe. Um, as we said earlier, Will uh, Howard is very good at running when he has a wide open lane that he doesn't have to think about. Not so much when uh, you know he has to dance around or put his shoulder down at all. Uh, that long run that he had, uh, Logan Long came pulling around from his right tackle spot, to, and there was absolutely no one for him to block because Cooper Beebe had completely cleared out the lane and uh so logan long just had a nice little escort for uh will howard to run 70 yards down the field um i can't say that i really paid that much attention to the offensive line other than that play but it seemed like the left side was working a lot better than the right side so that's why i'm thinking uh cooper bb Uh, no objections here uh, on that front. And uh, to that point, I, having just gone back and watched uh, the first half uh, earlier today, um, the K-State's first touchdown drive, when it was gashing Texas, all those big runs were going around on the left side. So uh, Cooper Beebe and Josh Revis, great job by both of them. So we can go ahead, though. We'll, we'll isolate this and give this to Cooper Beebe. So he is going to be our mark. Or, it's late here, boys. Uh, he's going to be the Darren Sproles Award winner for the offensive player of the game. Special teams, I don't think there's much debate here, but I will listen to other cases. Malik Knowles did have a couple of nice kick returns, but uh, Chris Tennant coming in and banging a 51-yard field goal. Um, I came away pretty impressed with that. Ty Zentner also had a, a, a nice day punting the ball, averaged better than 40, uh, 41 yards a kick, had four to get down inside the 20. So uh, what way are we leaning here for the David Allen Award? I think to I see Tennant come out and absolutely, you know, that, that was a rocket off of his foot. That thing had several more yards on it for sure. If he can get the accuracy under control, I think he has a chance to be like, one of the great kickers at K-State. Obviously, that's a big F, and he's still got a lot of hurdles to clear in doing that. But, yeah, I, I would give the nod to him. I'm good with I that. I agree. Yep. Not, uh, I thought Malik Knowles had a great game uh, as a kick returner, not only on his two uh, kick returns that he brought back around the 40 both times, but he forced uh, Texas to kick away from him a couple times and ended up with a couple of really short kicks to the other side of the field, which – so good field position every single kickoff, which was mainly due to Malik Knowles. But, yeah, I agree. Chris Tennant setting a new career high, 51 yards. I'd give it to him. I'm not remembering that wrong, right? That looked like it had about 10 more yards on it. I don't know about 10 more yards, but, yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely quite I'm, a few. I'm a terrible judge of that. I'll be the first to admit it. No, it Would have been good for so Mady. That it looks like it goes a lot farther than uh, a normal the angle the angle too when they when they shoot that from dkr it's the angle is shooting from you know it's so high up and when oh he, i think they shot that well. from outer space yeah it was way yeah. up there so we'll go with chris Tennant though for our david allen award winner for that 51 yarder that he cashed against the university of texas on down the list we go to our next award, the Arthur Brown Award, going to the games, uh, the newcomer of the game. So, where do we go here? <laughs> um, this one, a little bit more challenging than it typically is for us. Sorry, go ahead, Clint. Um, well, 
I'm running through the stats here. I did kind of forget about this award. Um, Not a bad day from Julius Julius Brents. He had uh, eight stops, one tackle behind the line of scrimmage. But uh, pass coverage was a little, yeah. I would throw Stubblefield into the mix here. I feel like he was in the backfield every bit as much as Daniel Green was. Yeah, the very first play of the game, he had that nice tackle for loss. Then there was another one where he converged with uh, Felix in the backfield. And I, th- I think he might have had another full tackle. For, how many did he end up with? Was it two and a half? Totally? Two and a half two is and what half. they have him with, yeah. Okay, yeah, I would definitely go with uh, with uh, Reggie then. Sauce boss. Stubbs, he's our newcomer of the week. Congrats on the Arthur Brown distinction there, Stubbs. Uh, again, five total tackles for him, two and a half behind the line of scrimmage. On down the list we go to the unsung hero, um, this is the John Hubert Award, aptly titled there. I I feel like Jalen Pickle played a very good game uh, in the interior part of that line, and we haven't, you know, again, that it's always nice to see defensive linemen rise up, especially knowing the kind of attention that Felix draws and whatnot, and also Nate Matlack here as of late has been playing uh, quite well. He was held, uh, held pretty well in check this past Saturday, but... Uh, Jalen Pickle would be my vote here, unless you guys had any other uh, thoughts. Nope, I'm good with that. Yeah, I already gave my shout-out to Malik Knowles having some nice kick returns, uh, but yeah, Jalen Pickle would be a good pick. Good pickle. Boo! Uh, man, had that one in the chamber, haven't you? Um, on we go to the final award, the Trey Walker Award for the player who delivered the moment of the game. This is always kind of tough to do when we have losses. <laughs> um, Probably got to give it to Will for the touchdown run. Yeah, yep. I'd say so. I'd agree with that. That was that was my thought. Um, so yeah, Will Howard though will will collect a distinction here this week, so he is going to be our Trey Walker Award winner for the Cats' final regular season game of 2021. K-State wrapping up the season, a regular season rather, at 7-5, and 4-5 and five in conference play are the Cats. And it's hard to believe, man, this, this year just flew by. Uh, I Honestly, it, it seems like we just played Oklahoma State just a couple days ago, but, man, it, it, this year just blazed right past us. Um, I, I, know, I know we all had probably higher expectations for this group and and Skylar getting banged up early thwarted a lot of what we felt this group was capable of accomplishing. I I will say, I will say I did pick us to go seven and five. So I'm I guess I'm glad in the sense that I got my prediction, right. But I still come away feeling a a little unfulfilled with this group uh, with one of the better passers again in school history and Skylar with Deuce Vaughn, really blowing up and having a historical year on a number of different fronts and, and, and being a very, again, that distinction that he has, he's the only back in the NCAA with over a thousand rushing and over 400 receiving right now. Like the fact that we weren't able to get more out of this team on the wins in the wins column is a little upsetting to me. Um, I guess, what are your guys' takeaways on, on the season that, that was? I know we obviously still have the bowl game, but just what, what do you come away feeling 
uh, with the way that this season played out. Yeah, um, just one or two more wins would have felt so much better. I do think this team is pretty talented. I think it's every bit as talented as 2013, 14, 16. Um, you know, there's between Deuce and Skyler, Cooper Beebe, Felix, Anudike, Uzama, Daniel Green, um, you know, Stubblefield coming in. Um, I think the, those a solid, solid core right there with some pretty good pieces around the core too. And, um, you know, if we get this bowl game win, it'll, it'll feel a lot better. But if we finish this season with only seven wins, I think that'll be a major disappointment. I thought coming in, I could be wrong on my prediction, but I thought six or seven wins was kind of our, our floor and our ceiling was probably in that, uh, nine to 10 win range, but it's those, you know, if we would lost to Baylor and then beat Texas, it would have been looking at the season at the end, looking back at the games we'd lost. It would have been a season where we beat all the teams we should have, but we didn't beat any of the teams that we shouldn't have, which is fine. I would have been happy with that. Cause that would have been, you know, an eight and four regular season. The four games you lose are, you know, three top 10, top 15 type teams, and then another team that is super talented and maybe, you know, a little underperforming this year. But I don't know, just to end the way we did with that Texas loss is just, you know, the fact that we couldn't pull off any of those upset wins, but then we go and lay an egg and lose a team on a six to a a team on a six game losing streak. You know, that kind of puts a sour taste in my mouth. It kind of gets us to that, you know, six to seven win floor that I was talking about where, you know, obviously you want to see your your team kind of performing more towards their ceiling. Um, so, yeah, I think I think this should have been an eight and four team. All things, you know, kind of going the way they should with nine wins in the regular season without a bowl game was, you know, kind of what you want. You want to get one of those games that you shouldn't have won. Um, against, you know, a better team. But that didn't really happen. And like Clint said, we win a bowl game. It'll make me feel a lot better. Eight wins is, you know, feels a lot better than than seven for sure. But nine men, nine wins would have felt a lot better than eight. I'll bet ten would have felt better than nine, too. <laughs> you know, we, we always joke about that. But for some reason, the difference between seven and eight seems like a lot more than the difference between eight and nine. No, you're absolutely right. Um I think I would have to go back and listen to our season preview edition. I think I had us at eight and four. Um, I will say Baylor was much better than I ever anticipated. And Texas was much worse than I ever anticipated. Obviously none of that mattered because we lost to both of them, but yeah, I mean, seven and five, you know, coming off the very forgettable year we had last year, seven and five is fine, I guess absolutely should have been eight and four and it just sucks that we have to chew on easily our worst loss of the year for an entire month leading into this bowl game um really not much more i can say that hasn't already been said other than yeah let if we can go out and get this bowl game it would definitely be a lot easier to stomach seven and six would be a pretty a pretty big kick in the nuts for the expectations I think some of us had for this year and how things looked, you know, even two weeks ago going into that Baylor game at, at seven and three to end that on three straight losses would be pretty disheartening for sure. Yeah. Going from seven to seven and three to seven and six is, 
yeah, not really how you want to end the year. And we, we've talked about it. Yes, I know I was a little frustrated with the defensive effort at times this past Saturday or Friday. God, I'm never going to get that here, am I? Um, but they, they, this unit ended up being on a per play basis really the best in the modern era for K-State. If you go, and, the, and I'll shout them out, obviously, KSU underscore fan on Twitter put out the season uh, the season totals. And this K-State defense on a points-per-play basis, better than 2012, better, and really you have to go back to, to really a different era of K-State football to see the, the units that finished better than this particular group did. So I, I, I would hate the thought that we would, potentially waste that in, in, in the season, just one game over 500 at seven and six and bull matchups are such a crap shoot. And, and I know a lot of people, I've seen people very vocal on Twitter about wanting Clemson. Y'all, y- you don't want Clemson. That team's been <laughs> to six, the playoff six straight times. They, they have a level of talent and depth that, that I'll just be very frank. We, we do not possess at this moment in time. And while Clemson may be a little disinterested. I still think Clemson would take this team to the woodshed, but um, I, I'm certainly hopeful that K-State ends up with a, a favorable bowl matchup. I've I've seen the the Cheese It Bowl against NC State. I've seen it against Clemson. I've seen the Texas Bowl against a, a Mississippi State. I've seen the Liberty Bowl potentially against Missouri, which would be kind of weird to play them this year and then play them the second game of the the 2022 regular season. Um, I don't really know how I feel about the, the, any of those matchups in particular. Mississippi State, I think, is a pretty good team. I think that's probably going to be your best draw if you end up going up against them, uh, them or Auburn or whoever it may be in the Texas Bowl. I think that's probably your most favorable matchup in the thought of this team being able to potentially go in and pop an SEC team in a, in a bowl game is is pretty enticing to me. So we'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, a lot of dominoes left to fall uh, with championship week forthcoming. Uh, Nutter, you touched on it. I don't think anybody expected Baylor to be as good as they, they were this season. And to that point, here they are in the Big 12 title game with the chance to make an appearance in the New Year Six. Uh, should they upset Oklahoma State, um, the Pokes, Hoping to get a little help, but I think Oklahoma State's got to be feeling pretty good about being ranked fifth right now in the playoff ranking, knowing that Alabama's inevitably Alabama is likely going to lose to Georgia. Uh, I I certainly expect that to happen. I, I think Alabama's kind of been on borrowed time here. Uh, they might give Georgia a bit of a game because, frankly, Georgia hasn't seen any team really close to the caliber of Bama this year. But I still think that Georgia defense will will lead them over Alabama, and that would give Alabama a second loss, which you would certainly have to hope the committee would bump Oklahoma State up into that fourth slot and they would slide Alabama down. Um, just a, a, do you guys feel like that would happen or do you feel like the Big 12 doesn't have the the kind of credibility with the playoff committee that it probably should there? If Bama loses, they're not making it. Oklahoma State's going to make it. The problem is if Bama wins, are they going to slide a one-loss Georgia team out of there, which I don't think no. they will. I think Georgia's had, in no matter what happens. They've yep. already had Georgia and Alabama in 
the playoff before in the same, you know, like, so the Big 12 needs Bama to lose, because um, that's pretty much the only shot, but I don't think Bama's going to make it if they lose. That's a two-loss team, so. I think the fact that they're sitting at three and not two makes me feel better that they would fall out with a second loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's uh, let's give it up for future Big 12 member Cincinnati. Now they um, sit are sitting there perfect, and they got to just got to take care. They just got to take care of business, and I think they they they're in. Um, do you want to draw Georgia right out of the, right out of the gate? Probably not. No, but they played Georgia toe to toe last year, and I believe what was the Peach Bowl. Um, so we'll see what what shakes out. Obviously, you're going to be a very eventful championship Saturday. Looking forward again. Baylor and Oklahoma State down in Arlington. Georgia taking on Alabama in the SEC championship game. Points abound in the ACC title game with Wake Forest taking on Pitt. Um, if you are glutton for pleasure and you want to see a nine to six football game, you could watch Michigan and Iowa. I think <laughs> that one's going to be a skunk, uh, but. But yeah, lots of lots of good championship game matchups coming up on this final uh, weekend of the uh, of of college football this season, and then we'll jump into the postseason. Now, um, I hit on it a few moments ago in in that K State one of the potential bowl matchups comes against Missouri. Uh, we did get the schedule release here for 2022, uh, and we know now that K State we we knew K State was going to be entertaining Missouri. We just didn't know where this game was going to stack up uh, for the Wildcats in 22. But uh, the schedule has been released. Um, we'll start off with the the non-con then we'll roll into the conference slate so you have south dakota uh, all three at home south dakota then you play missouri second game out of the gate there and then you play tulane um early thoughts on that three game stint there just knowing what we and, and we know i guess what we do know right now is that a lot is probably going to change uh, for this team in the offseason we expect potentially a new offensive coordinator, potentially seeing a transfer quarterback. And there's probably going to be a lot of movement in the transfer market as well for wide receiver and running back. Uh, there's a lot of pieces still left to fall, but what are your guys early thoughts on, on the non-con portion of the 2022 slate? Like you said, it's really hard to predict how those games are going to go right now when we don't even know what our team's going to look like next year. Yeah, I mean, as far as predictions, I have no idea how good those teams will be. I have no idea how good this K-State team will be. But just the teams in general, I think they're all kind of interesting matchups for K-State, starting with um, South Dakota. It's a team that I hate playing. Back in 2015, we lost Jesse Ertz and Dante Barnett for the season in that first game playing them. And then in 2018, we needed it. Was it 17 or 18? 18. Yeah, we needed that uh, punt return by Zuber and then that last second, uh, not last second, one of the last minutes, Skyler to Zuber, touchdown passes uh, to win it. So not a fun team for K-State to play in recent history. Then we got Missouri. Obviously, we have huge history with them. And then uh, Tulane, we get to welcome back Lance Robinson. You know, with all the uh, transfers coming and going, it's it's kind of interesting the amount of former players we're going to start seeing you know we had zuber uh when we played against mississippi state that was kind of fun playing him and uh this might be another 
fun homecoming with a former player. Hopefully it'll end up the same way it did with Isaiah Zuber down in Mississippi State. Is this Will this be the first time we've played Tulane since that infamous uh, Stan Parrish game? Yes. I believe so. I don't know. Tulane this, uh, was interesting. Like the, I feel like the only thing I heard about them all year this year was they obviously took OU to the wire in Norman to start the year. But I just looked it up, and they only went two and ten this year. So they did. They promptly did nothing with that momentum. So, um, but all that to be said, I mean, you guys have already said it. We don't even know what we're going to look like next year. So hard to say. I, all, all I can say is I'm happy we get them all at home. What's this so, uh, game you're talking? Oh, about? Oh, go ahead, Alex. What's this, Alex? What's the Stan Parrish game you're talking about? I don't know. So in uh, Stan Parrish's last year, um, we uh, we were in the middle of that, you know, what ended up being, I think, a 30-game winless streak. And we had driven to take the lead with like a minute and a half left and kicked off the ball to him. And d- defensive coaches were calling up to the press box for signals. And the coaches had left the press box to come down to the sideline to celebrate ending the winless streak. And then Tulane marched down the field and scored and won it. Uh-huh. Okay. That sounds vague. This was on that uh, documentary that Dan Youngman did um, a couple years ago, The Miracle. I've watched that. I have that. I just have a terrible memory, so don't mind me. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I expect that there will probably it will probably be covered in depth when Tulane comes to town. It, it's just too crazy of a story not to. So, just very briefly, uh, South Dakota... Uh, the Coyotes finished uh, the regular season at seven and four. They did go to the FCS playoffs and played a team K-State faced this year, uh, Southern Illinois, which bounced them uh, 22 to 10. So Southern uh, South Dakota rather finishing the season with a final mark of seven and five. Missouri, uh, as it stands right now, six and six. The Tigers are obviously going to be bowling, could potentially see K-State. Who knows? Liberty Bowl, Texas Bowl, lots of options there. Um, I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, but a lot of dominoes still left to fall, as I said. And then, Nutter, you hit it. Tulane finishing the year 2-10. and ten. Uh, I did look, though. They did have five games that they lost by one score or fewer. So this was a team that didn't get a lot of breaks in the close ones. Uh, but again, that's a the, the only gripe that I have with the non-con is just the way that it's arranged. Obviously, you would like to kind of gradually level up, start with South Dakota, move to Tulane, then hell, you might even want to have open up with Tulane and then go to South Dakota. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, the fact that Missouri is, in, is sandwiched in the middle of those two is, is not ideal. I know this group will still be ironing, you know, both teams will still be ironing out their fair share of kinks, but um, I would have much rather drawn the Tigers last uh, in the non-con, but Neither here nor there. We'll look next to the uh, the conference portion of the slate and rabble, 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 K-State on the road to open up Big 12 play. That part I don't have a gripe with. The fact that it's at Oklahoma is kind of bullshit. <laughs> the fact that we have to go there right out of the chute. Uh, but uh, that's your conference opener for the Cats. Then it's back home to face off against Texas Tech. And then another back-to-back road stretch there going on the road to face Iowa State. Then it is a bye, uh, excuse me, yes, that it is a bye week, then it's TCU. So those are your first four conference games. I'll go ahead and pause there. Um, this this kind of sucks. This is probably the 
the part that irks me the most is that you you open up on the road like again that part doesn't bother me as much as it does some but the fact that you only have one conference home game um and then you have to wait a month or one conference home game uh, in october and then you have to wait more or less a month for the next home game that's tough uh, for a team that i feel like is going to need need some sort of positivity and need some momentum to 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 get to that six win mark next year uh, again i think that might be at this point that's kind of wishful thinking but um what were your guys thoughts on that middle stretch there again at oklahoma tech at home at iowa state by week then at tcu probably the best year to play oklahoma early in the season i would think sure i'd agree true. with that uh, true i i do wish they would do a better job of scheduling you know Home one week, away one week, a, a little bit of a more even alternation there. It doesn't seem like it should be like, oh, here's a home game and then no home game for a month. And then you got like two in a row or three in a row or whatever. Because, you know, that long of a gap I don't think is good for attendance. But also back-to-back home games I also don't think is good for attendance. When they're kind of evenly spaced out, I think that's better. Um, as far as the games... Who knows? Same story. We don't know what what we're going to look like or other teams. Uh, Going back to the non-con, I was just going to say that I would expect worst case scenario to be two and one out of non-con. You know, obviously three and oh would be awesome. But, you know, if we lose two or three of those, it's definitely going to be a not a good and a pretty long year next year, I would say. Yeah, for sure. There's no reason why, even if this team's pretty pretty worse off than it is this year, there's no reason to lose to South Dakota and uh, Tulane. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're pesky, but if you lose either of those games, yeah, it's not looking good. So coming down the home stretch of the 2022 schedule here, uh, you talked about it, Alex, back-to-back home games uh, after back-to-back road games. So you come home October 29th, face off against Oklahoma State, and then you will entertain Texas the week after that. And then back-to-back road games to follow that up, where you go on the road to face off against Baylor at West Virginia. And then K-State, This and I hate the fact that we do this, we close out the, the season against Kansas in Manhattan on Thanksgiving weekend. I don't I guess I'll say this to 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 clarify. I don't hate the fact that we play KU that weekend, but it just it's a bad look, I think, for the Big 12 when you're trying to like showcase this as a rivalry game when usually by this point, KU's obviously been mathematically removed from bowl contention. K-State's usually playing for, you know, the possibility of, you know, moving up slightly in the bowl pecking order with a win your students are going to be gone for Thanksgiving and you're putting this game up against the likes of the iron bowl, the game, all the other big rivalry games that are played on that Saturday. And, and I, I and frankly, we just oh, here recently, just because the, the stakes have been so low, there hasn't just been much of an atmosphere uh, regardless of where this game has been played. Uh, but that's, that's my only beef with playing KU that final week of the season. But um, I'll spin it back to you guys here. So that final five games of the season at Oklahoma, or excuse me, Oklahoma State in Manhattan, Texas in Manhattan, at Waco to face Baylor, 
in Morgantown to take on West Virginia and then wrapping up with KU. I mean, I get your point, Jeff, but I don't think there's really any matchup involving K-State that's going to really, you know, go after any of those other big matchups on Thanksgiving weekend. So I don't really see. I'd rather see Iowa State there. That's my only point. I would rather see us play Iowa State that weekend instead. I agree. I think it's weird. We don't usually play KU that late in the season. I think that's weird. I just, I don't think any game we're playing is going to, you know, be much of a draw for TV audiences when other, you know, all those other big games are going on. I do think there are some people out there that are expecting KU to take a jump in this second year under their new head coach. And if they're fighting for uh, bowl contention there at the end of the season, that could be, uh, you know, people like to see in those shitty teams actually improve every once in a while. I know no one around Manhattan is wanting KU to do anything good, but there might be quite a few uh, eyes on the screen that are actually rooting for KU. I'm not predicting that. They'll probably win <laughs> games, but I, I think that might be uh, something that's being predicted around the country. I do think a switch flipped with them when they won down in Austin a few weeks ago because they have looked night and day different. I mean, they've looked like a completely competent football team the last three weeks, and it's definitely something that has my attention, you know, with so much uncertainty with who we're going to have taking snaps or calling plays or whatever next year, that that might be a little more uncomfortable than we would like it to be next year for sure. Very valid concern there, Nutter. And um, like I said, I I think you get the seven home games this year, you're hold on con slates at home. Uh, Again, there's still so many things left to be ironed out with, with what this roster makeup is going to be what this coaching staff is going to look like if there's going to be turnover there it certainly looked like excuse me it looks like there's some smoke um you know everybody and their brother has been talking about matt wells i don't think that's the guy uh, that's that's going to be coming in to run the offense but um i'm sure here in the coming days we will learn uh if courtney messingham is going to be retained and if not who the uh incoming offensive coordinator is going to be so uh, lots of dominoes left to fall, as I've been saying throughout. But that's your 2022 schedule. And really to to kind of finalize this episode here, the last thing I wanted to hit on were, were some uh, players that have uh, elected to to transfer out. Uh, just because, again, we've talked about someone so much unknown, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that we were losing some guys that we frankly expected to be contributors here. So... Uh, I guess I'll just put it to the group to start off with. Who do you feel uh, of the guys that we've learned in, in the last few days that are, are that are going to be transferring out? Who is the biggest loss that K-State's taken, at least with what we know right now? Uh, for the known, I'd say that's uh, Joe Irvin. You know, we, we kind of know what we're getting from him. Uh, he was a quality player who could probably start for a lot of teams. It just so happens he was behind Deuce Vaughn here. I do wish he got a little bit more of the workload over this season, but uh, it is what it is. I'm not really surprised that he's choosing to move on um, for more of a projection type of thing of what we needed next year. I think Tyrone Howell was a guy that we were going to be counting on and that uh, at least I was looking forward to see the jump he was going to make, so that one kind of disappoints me. Yeah, I think you pretty well hit the nail on the head. Um, obviously, you know, I think Jacardier, we just kept waiting for him to take off, and it just never happened. You know, I think the writing was kind of on the wall. Uh, his production or his uh, 
carries were pretty much non-existent after that after that costly fumble against Oklahoma early in the year. So uh, I think we we all kind of knew the direction that was headed. But uh, yeah, I think it, it, in terms of what could have been and you know Howell, there was definitely potential there. But like just knowing what you already had, Urban's probably the biggest loss. Unfortunately, you know I can probably say so far. Right. Irvin's the biggest loss, but he's definitely not the biggest, you know, need of next year. He's he still wasn't going to be the starter over Deuce Vaughn next year. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Ty- Tyrone Howell, you know, he could have been a guy that stepped up and, you know, was a maybe number two option in the passing game. Um, a guy with size and, you know, by all reports, and I'm not sure if we ever saw him drop a pass i mean he didn't get a lot of targets this year but a dude that was pretty sure-handed as well um i think going forward that's probably a bigger loss just the potential of what he could offer especially at a position of need like wide receiver um joe Irvin hurts but it's you know as long as deuce isn't going anywhere you know you're you're filling you're you're looking for running back number two so number one is filled for for a while hopefully So Tyrone Hal ended the season with seven catches for 98 yards. I know that doesn't sound like much, but again, I think we all, uh, to your point, felt like he was going to be a pretty significant contributor uh, in the passing game for this K-State team going in uh, to 2022. So, uh, and it's tough to replace a guy of, uh, of his size and physical stature. Again, K-State just doesn't really have that type of a body in the wide receiver room at the moment. Um Joe Irvin, his numbers, uh, I think everybody was kind of surprised, uh, perhaps by the the volume. I mean, if you look at it ratio-wise, Deuce Vaughn at 214 carries, Joe Irvin ended up with 64, so more or less a 3-to-1 ratio there. Uh, but it, that it, Irvin ends up with 334 yards rushing and a couple of touchdowns, has one catch for 12 yards as well. Uh, I, I don't sweat that as much. I feel like the staff has identified a couple of pretty talented backs that I'm sure will be all too happy to step in now that Jacardier has cleared the way as well as Joe Irvin. So now that number two spot's really up for grabs. And, and it's in the staff has also shown uh, the penchant here, as we've seen, uh, for getting guys touches. And, and Joe Irvin, you know, the staff could have very easily just said, hey, we're going to give the ball to Deuce, you know, 250, 300 times this season. Uh, but they didn't do that. They they made the effort to include Joe Irvin. Now again, this we say this knowing that we might see a change at the offensive coordinator. So who's to say what the philosophy of the next guy that could potentially be coming in, what that might be, and what that might translate to, into in terms of carries for the next guy up? But I, I still don't sweat that one as much. Tyrone Howell is the big hit to me. Um, and I know one guy on the defensive side, and I don't think this one was a huge shock to anybody, but Wayne Jones announced that he is going to enter the transfer portal as well. Uh, any concerns there? Uh, I, I guess that that's tough for me to stomach only in the sense that I know this team is pretty thin at the linebacker. And I know, though, he's never really found a, a true landing spot, though, on this defense since we've shuffled them around in so many different positions. Yeah, losing the depth hurts, but I mean, like you said, I don't know that he was ever really going to be a a big contributor. So, I mean, that it's it's definitely a shot to the depth, but that's probably about it. That nickel spot has been hard for K-State to fill whether it's the 
big linebacker hybrid nickel or if it's the smaller one. We lost Amaris Brown halfway through the season to he just decided to enter the portal. Um, you know, we've lost some of the smaller linebackers we've recruited over the past couple of years. We lost um, uh, Will Jones last year. Hopefully we can start keeping a couple of those guys because we're going to be awful thin there. And and Clint, you you bring up one question I just wanted to pose to the group here. Uh, it, regardless of what the staff looks like, uh, Chris Kleiman obviously knows, you know, what personnel is coming back, what's what's uh, going to be in the cupboard, so to speak. Um, the, the this current recruiting class is pretty uh, pretty small still, so a lot of scholarships still available. Um, what if you prioritize what you go after in the transfer market? What what are you guys looking to see this this coaching staff try to bring in? So my priorities would be quarterback, uh, another linebacker um, to go with Daniel Green, wide receiver. I know we got a D tackle. But, you know, it's always nice to have a lot of those guys. So maybe a D tackle um, and probably someone to play maybe like safety nickel type of role. Yeah, quarterback's my number one um, most worried about position. Uh, the uh, the secondary is going to need bolstering again, especially the fact that we run the uh, three safety set and then often have the nickel on the field at the same time. Um, we're losing quite a bit there. Uh, defensive tackle, it kind of depends on who's coming back. Um, Eli Huggins seemed like it was a foregone conclusion that he was leaving, but now there's a little bit of smoke that he might be uh, talked into coming back for one more year. Robert Hens is a depth piece that uh, you know, hasn't gotten a ton of playing time, but if he decides to come back for a super senior year, they could uh, be a real factor there. Um, yeah, I don't really know about order there, but I, I think uh, DB – Pretty much every position there could use a influx of a few more talented transfers. Um, I mean, if there's one thing Kleiman's proven since he got here, even before the portal really became what it is now, he can definitely work that transfer market for sure. You know, it started with the inheriting no scholarship running backs, you know, going out and getting Jordan Brown and James Gilbert and turning that into a pretty good running back tandem. And then, you know, we've seen some obviously, you know, some big name gets in, you know, guys like Julius Brents or, um, you know, th- then even a couple of grad transfers like like Reggie Stubblefield. So um, I definitely think he has the potential to get it done. Um, I think you guys both are absolutely right, though. Quarterbacks got to be got to be priority number one. And it's really not even close. Um, if you can get a guy with multiple years, knowing we don't even currently have a quarterback in, you know, like this recruiting class. You know, if you can get a couple of years to buy yourself some time and get a guy with some veteran experience, that would definitely be preferred. But I also know you can only be you can only afford to be so picky when it comes to the transfer market as well. So, um, yeah, definitely quarterback. Maybe if you could find, you know, a proven back to back up Deuce. But I know that's going to be tough to find someone knowing they're going to come in and immediately play second fiddle. Um, past that, you know, just those posi- just those positions that we are, are just perpetually thin at you know you mentioned nickel linebacker um feels like it's the same song every single year with some of these positions so would definitely be nice if we could find some guys with a couple of years experience to where we don't have to completely real but rebuild that unit every single year 
good suggestions across the board there, guys. And I, I do feel like I I, I, I kind of do a tongue-in-cheek anytime I see I follow the Transfer Portal Twitter account and anytime a quarterback pops up, I always, it's always fun to see anybody and everybody just be like, K-State football, K-State football, you know, go sign this kid. <laughs> and like, I, I do feel though, you know, we talked about it at the outset of the show that we've got a, a large enough sample size of what Will Howard is and, and what this offense is with him under center. And I, I think it's unfortunate that the staff might have to concede that they, they missed on this one. But if you, I, I don't think that, this program can really afford to endure a three and nine or a four and eight type of year to try and prove that Will Howard can be the guy. So that being said, I, I fully expect the staff to, to absolutely go out and transfer market and find and try to find somebody. Um, like you said, Clint, even if it's just and it's weird to think of it in this, in this fashion, but think of it like a rental, you know, you're just getting a guy for a year. Um, I think that's fine. And, and frankly, if you're bringing it in with a new OC, uh, that gives Rubley one more year to sit back and, and, again, gather knowledge, watch film, learn how to, how to you know, employ what he's learning in, in film study and in practice and, and whatnot. Because I think that's, that's truthfully, at this point, that's kind of the biggest variable and really the future of K-State football. And frankly, whether or not I think climbing in this – whole staff um, ends up working out long term uh, because a, a lot of eggs were placed in the Jake Rubley basket and the fact that we haven't seen or heard much about him uh, uh, and the fact I know he's been banged up here and there but um, a lot rides on whether or not he he will be able to be a, a contributor and he doesn't necessarily need to be to the Skyler level but he certainly needs to be a very viable option at quarterback and he needs to be the guy that takes this job. Ideally, if he, t- if he can truly make a huge leap next, uh, this off season and grab it next year, I'd be willing to endure if he can get this team to a five and seven, or even if he manages to somehow get it to six and six, that would be awesome. Especially if, if Rubley is the guy, the entire way, that would be a great, a uh, great accomplishment for him. And that would make me feel much better. But frankly, I, I think he's still going to be, much more in the learning mode next year. That's just my my early read on that. But we'll see uh, what becomes of the quarterback position. I do expect though the staff to to target a transfer if for no other reason for depth and potentially to to bring out a, a competition and see who can truly take the position and win that battle. But um, the other positions as far as priority, um, again, I think you have to look wide receiver, knowing that you, you've lost Tyrone Howell. Um, and you could potentially lose another guy here in the coming weeks. Um, uh, that's really on the offensive side. I, I don't really have any reason to be concerned with, with Connor Fox at this point. I think he'll be, uh, he'll turn into a contributor at tight end for this team. Uh, Nick Linners, he's got to have another year of eligibility, right? Um, no, I think, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm not too worried about the tight end H back position. I, I think this group has done a fine job of identifying guys that can contribute in that that role. Uh, defensively, again, much more of the concern. Clint, you touched on it in the secondary, trying to find guys to fill that that safety, that third safety spot. Assuming that this that Klanderman and company do elect to continue using the three three five alignment, which I think what they 
we're able to do this year is certainly going to to reinforce the idea that that alignment needs to stay in place. It's it's kind of hard to believe that we were we were talking about this team potentially trying to transition back to a four four two five or four three earlier this year when things were not going as well for the defense. But I think again, a little bit of patience goes a long way. But I think defense again, pretty much any level. Uh, the only position I don't sweat too much on the defensive side is D end. Uh, but yeah, you definitely need to get a running mate, a linebacker for Daniel Green, and you need to find a couple of DBs. Again, I think just guys who are <laughs> you're probably going to need to be interchangeable at, at be it nickel, the third safety, if you need to put them out on the boundary, you know, find guys who are versatile. But I, I think we've harped enough on a lot of the things that we don't even know yet. I think uh, it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks here, uh, hopefully not too many defections, but I think we'll also continue to see some news of K-State, you know, ideally landing a couple of guys and starting to go after some players in the transfer market. So good things forthcoming uh, for this program. We'll obviously no bowl destination next week as well. So a lot of fun uh, topics to dive into here as we get you prepped for whatever bowl game K-State ends up going to. So with all that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Appreciate all of our listeners sticking with us to the end here. Uh, As we always uh, conclude here, make sure you do rate, review, subscribe, do the podcast things for us. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And as we always say at the end of all of our wonderful shows here, Catsman, if you know, you know.